Thank you for listening to Walton Biz Talk. I'm Ryan Sheets, Director of the Business Communication Lab here at the Walton College of Business, and today I'm talking with Betsy Reithmeyer. Betsy currently serves as the Executive in Residence at the Center for Retailing Excellence and as the Senior VP of Media and Community Relations at 8th and Walton. Prior to that, Betsy also served as VP of Corporate Affairs at Walmart, CEO of the Jones Trust, and the VP of Global Communications for Saatchi and Saatchi X. Betsy is also an alderman for the Rogers City Council. Betsy and I have a wonderful conversation about professionalism, communication, leadership, and team building. I really enjoyed this chat and learned a lot, and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy. I guess just to start us off, just um, tell us about your work, work experience, and so forth and so on. I've been very fortunate to have a varied work experience, mm-hmm. and I'm the type of person who could potentially get bored fairly easily, so it's been wonderful to have a variety of work. I started working... Actually, the best job I ever had was one of my first jobs in high school. I was a reference librarian. And what it taught me was I didn't have to know everything. I just needed to go where to find the answer. So it has really served me well throughout my life as I've built this career really more around connections. And how do you connect people? And how do you connect information? And where do you go find that next expert or that next person that can help you achieve your goal? Um, so that has served me well through through my time. Majority of my career has been at Walmart, 26 years at Walmart. I started in 1979 in operations. Walmart had 350 stores at the time, so very much a small regional player. And really fortunate to see the growth through international, um, certainly going coast to coast in the United States, the acquiring of a warehouse club in Sam's Club and building out all the different formats. And it was a fascinating time to be in the company and to be into retail. Uh, it just as we're looking at how that whole commerce area is exploding now, a real, um, for me, interesting part of my career is right now barcodes, and you scan everything. You know, we barcode, you go to the hospital now and they're scanning your wrists or medicine, whatever. I helped set the first Walmart store that ever had scanning. So as much as we think Walmart and retail and everything has evolved, you know, even within my career within the last 30 years, the really big evolution to go from the old bangers where you had to price every single thing to a universal code that then was controlled by the technology in the back with computers was a huge evolution in itself and a revolution really, for this world we call retailer commerce. So it, it's been a fun journey for sure. Interesting. You know, you said the uh, the, the click, what'd you call them? Bangers? Were the you, bangers, yes, the yeah, yeah. registers. My, my first job uh, was at a grocery store. And I remember we had to price everything like that because not everything was set up. And they finally got everything set up. It was such a huge relief to not have to stock and sticker, stock and every single thing. And then if you think through price changing, how you had to do that and you had to mark it out or you had to peel it off and the labor intensive nature that it was. And then when you think through how just something that simple, you don't realize all the other components. So there's actually laws 
the lobbying was in place, certainly from labor organizations that wanted to regulate, that you had to sticker every single item, even though the industry had evolved to something else as for job preservation. So then you were still stickering, but you still had scanning. So commerce and retail has been a wonderful stepping stone to things that I enjoy, which is a much more holistic look for society. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things is like those simple little things that has such huge payoff. You were talking this morning about Swiffer. Yes. How just changing, uh, maybe you can tell us more about that, changing the box, correct, created a whole new industry. Just something as simple as cardboard. It, it created, actually, it reinvented a category. So a Swiffer basically is a mop. It's mm-hmm. a mop or it's a broom, whatever you want to call it. But when you look at from a commerce or retail standpoint, to ship a mop as a long pole is very, very difficult to do. The boxes are difficult to load. They're difficult to stack. They don't go on conveyors easily. Everything has to be pretty well hand-stacked, hand-carried, which is incredibly labor-intensive. Your costs go up, obviously, in in relation to that. Putting together a Swiffer where it was a um, break, you broke it down, you built it yourself, you could then put it in a package in a box which made your shipping so much easier. You could stack it so much more easily. And then your presentation on shelf and counter, it was able then to go on different types of shelving displays, as well as if you wanted to take it out of the box and hang it up. So it changed how people looked at the whole category. It really revived the category for many companies in terms of the self-cleaning aspect of it um, was Swiffer. You've also done a lot of non not for profit work, and, I have. and city work, uh, or not city work, but but work in the community. Well, I am on the Roger City Council. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. So city so work. City work. I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, could you could you talk about that a little bit and and what you've enjoyed about that? What you've learned from those yeah, experiences? It, it's it's a good lesson, Ryan, in that you never know where your journey is going to take you and how you have to be open to whatever. That may be. I'm very much a spiritual person, and I believe God puts you in different places at different times in your life. I was working in Walmart Corporate Affairs. I'd worked in uh, public relations, started all the diversity programs for Walmart. I led government relations for a while, and my boss then asked me to go um, transform the Walmart Foundation. And it was the one job in corporate affairs I did not want. I did not want to do it. I wasn't interested in it. I didn't see how it could tie back to the business in a way. And he said, well, that's your challenge. And it truly turned into the job at Walmart that I'm more defined by in anything else. And it set me up for what I do and what I enjoy now. And that I was able to transform the organization. I was able, working with partnerships, to really make it more meaningful for the company um, where the company and the communities that we serve could see the relevance of what we're doing. But it also filled me in a way that I hadn't thought before, and that was serving in the nonprofit community. So when I uh, made the decision to leave Walmart, it was very natural for me to go into nonprofit work. Uh, I led the Northwest Arkansas Food Bank for a year and then became CEO, COO and then CEO of the Jones Trust in Springdale, Arkansas, which is a large family trust. that was It was a very exciting time of my life. Interesting. 
if we could, you know, we've talked a lot about prior work experience. Let's talk about what you're doing now. Could you tell us about the work you do with uh, 8th and Walton and for the CRE, um, not CRE, the Center for Retailing Excellence? It's easy to speak in acronyms. It is easy to speak But if you could tell us about that work, um, and, and sort of the things I'm curious about is the ways that CRE works with students, um, how it connects students to area businesses, and things like that. So the Center for Retailing Excellence, the CRE, has a special place in my heart because I was here at the founding. So I was still working with Walmart in the foundation, and when Claudia Mobley, their founding director, came and said, hey, as part of its gift from the Walton family, we want to serve and we want to, we want to build this outreach center. And that was exciting for me, and it was important, one, that we could be able to give back in that way. But I love this industry that I've been a part of, this retail commerce industry, all my life. And I wanted to, in some way, enable other students to have that same type of journey and have that same experience or understand the world that it would open up to them. Other than some other industries, if you are working in retail or you're working in commerce, it is every discipline that you have to have really in life to be successful at Walmart. So you could literally change careers and never have to leave a company, which is unheard of really today. Mm -hmm. But if I was operating in operations, I wanted to go be a buyer, I could. Or if I had the talent, I could go fly a plane or I could go be a truck driver. And all these opportunities were there. And so enabling students to see that level of opportunity was important and it, it has the Walton name on it. Mm -hmm. I knew Sam Walton personally for 23 years. Incredibly grateful for what he's provided for my family and what he's provided for the world. And if it's a small way I can give back, then, then I wanted to do that. At 8th and Walton, we are an education and training company. In Northwest Arkansas, it's obviously more geared towards suppliers, towards Walmart. What people don't realize about retail oftentimes is there's a whole backroom process. It's real easy to get, you think it's real easy to get something on the shelf. It can be your best day, it can be your worst day. Because once you get it on the shelf, then you have to keep it on the shelf. You have to track it. You have to worry about your supply chain. You have to worry about how you're going to replenish it. Um, and at 8th and Walton, we teach all of those systems for our suppliers. So um, we have some advisory and con some consulting we do as well. But the core of our business is educating suppliers on truly how to work better with Walmart. Uh, and we have a lot of fun doing it. We've, we've got a lot of things that we've done. So it's a natural tie-in for what we wanted to do here at the Center for Retailing Excellence. How can we take some of those basic trainings? We, we deliver students with absolutely incredible academic background. But oftentimes, as they're going out into business, we also want them to have some practical, on-hands, job training, critical thinking skills that will hold, um, will serve them well when they go out in the community. And oftentimes, that's by building more of a collaborative type of team. It's not everybody in finance. It's not everybody in marketing. If you're really going to do a significant business solve, it requires all of those disciplines. And having an opportunity to transform the CRE is giving us that opportunity to interact with the college in a whole different way and bring value to the industry as well as to students. Speaking of practical training, uh, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about this semester in the podcast is professionalism and professionalization. And what we're trying to do is demystify those terms for our students. Um, as somebody who's worked for 
30 plus years in Northwest Arkansas and who currently works with helping students get that sort of practical training. Could you tell us what professionalism means to you and to the companies you worked with, whether it be Walmart, Jones Trust, or even suppliers? I think the uniqueness when you start thinking about professionalism and what is the image you want to portray is to remember you only get one opportunity to make a first impression. And certainly when we're in a community as tight-knit as Northwest Arkansas, we have a half a million people who live here. We have people that come in and out from all over the world every single day. But at the end of the day, we're still a relatively small community. So you are always going to run into people that you know or people that maybe you want to know or people that will remember you. And you want it to be in a positive way. And if that is how you're acting all of the time, then you don't have to worry about the other aspects in your life. That professionalism shouldn't be confused with stuffy. It shouldn't be confused with being rigid. It, it should be seen as being a, the best genuine self you can be. Uh, what you said about image, doing that, and it takes care of everything else will take care of itself once you have that. Um, Reminds me of old an old saying, you take care of the sense and the dollars will follow. Exactly. It's that sort of, you handle those little things about your image and how you present yourself to the world. Um, has that idea of professionalism, you know, is that something that you've kind of come to recently or is that something that's been the case for 20, 30 years throughout your professional career? How has the idea of professionalism changed or, or has it really? Oh, it definitely has changed and it's evolved. Sure. 30 years ago, we wore nylons and stockings and heels, and you were much more buttoned up than people are today. It's a much more relaxed type of atmosphere. You have to dress for the need of the day, but consider your audience and what you want to convey. Um, so it definitely has has evolved. Um, you have to understand, too, that it's still a relatively new phenomenon that people live out their lives on social media. When I screwed up in high school and college, nobody took pictures and blasted it all over the place. And so having that sense of decorum and privacy is also important. Right. Um, so I think all of those things are, are critical, too, as you're looking at what that professional is. When I'm leading a team, it's a different level of professionalism than if I'm out with my friends. I'm never going to do anything inappropriate. I'm never going to do anything that would cause myself embarrassment. But I'm also going to be appropriate in, in the area. I do a lot of work with women on mentoring and networking. And one of the things I think that are sometimes difficult for people when they go to large events is some folks o overserve themselves. Yeah, with, with adult beverages. And so one of the things that I teach people is if you're in that situation, I don't happen to care for a red wine. So if I'm going to an event, I have red wine because I know I'm just going to sip it. But it's important that I'm holding that because it looks more approachable. Right. So you want people to see you as approachable that they can come talk to you. So if you're just standing there with your arms crossed, you maybe are not as approachable. But if I'm holding a glass of whatever, and it could be water with a lime in it, whatever, you're just much more approachable in the, in the meeting, in the moment. Mm -hmm. So understanding from your audience, too, is a level of professionalism that's important. That's, uh, that's great advice. For, especially for young professionals, because they often say, how, how, how can I be a professional? They spend four years being a student, mm 
to oftentimes great success. But you don't get four years to learn how to be a professional. Exactly. And that's, you just don't. So if you can get that person to talk about themselves, then you're going to be the greatest conversationalist they ever, ever talked to. And, and that's also interesting, too, because a lot of times we talk to students about how to persuade someone to want to give you a look, to give you an interview. And I often tell students, you have to connect before you can persuade. Yes. You, you have to connect before you persuade. You have to build rapport. So I think it's, it's great that you all are sort of talking to students um, and, and sort of that mentoring like that is so needed. And I don't care if it's you know a for-profit business, a nonprofit business, the Lord's business. It's a business. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to an event in your head, what is your ROI expectation? What are you wanting out of that? And how are you preparing for it if it's a business event? If you're just going out for fun, fine. But if you're doing it for a business reason, then understand what those components are and plan for it. If you don't plan for your success or put the, put the guidelines in place, you're never going to get there. Yeah, that intentionality is is important. Very important. That in, without that intentionality, I mean, you are kind of aimless. Exactly. And not only is it just confusing for you, but it's also inefficient. You're wasting time. You're wasting time. And the greatest honor you can give someone is to show that you cared enough about them to find out what they what they like to do. Right. So if you're going to a large event and your goal is to talk to somebody from Pepsi. It might be nice to know who those people are and what they look like. And then what are some of the things that you might want to say in terms of a conversation starter? Indeed. Speaking of uh, connecting with people, let's uh, let's start talking about teams. You have tons of experience uh, working with and forming teams. Um, we often talk about leading teams, but our students, when they graduate and even as they go into internships, probably not going to be leading teams right off. They're going to have to be members of teams. Um, what's the secret to, to being an effective team member? I think always it's listening first, always listening first. Um, if you're on a team, you've already been given your seat at the table, if you will. But listening to others and then adding positively to the conversation. One of the most frustrating things when you go in, particularly to try to transform a team, is to hear that we can't do this, or I won't do that, or this will never work. We've tried that. We've tried that. Yes. Going in with positive language is always really important. And going to where they are. Back to my foundation experience, it was it was a tough situation and that I had to transform the team, and the former leader was now reporting to me. So he was staying on the team. Mm-hmm difficult situation to do. Um, I positioned, you know, Walmart, you're just big open pod, cubicle area. I positioned myself right in the middle of the department. My cube was the same size as everybody else's. I didn't have a door. I wanted to hear what was going on. So, and I also wanted to be very um, accessible Mm -hmm. to people. One of the greatest things someone taught me was most everybody likes chocolate. (laughs) <laughs> so it, I had a big bowl of the small bite-sized chocolate outside my office on the counter, and people would come by every day and get chocolate. And it gave me an opportunity to talk to them, to get to know them, find out about their families, what were the things that were important to them. 
It's most any business challenge when you go into an existing team. It's not that you're telling them the business challenge for the first time. They probably know the business challenge, and they probably have a pretty good idea of how to solve it if somebody would actually listen to them mm-hmm. and add on and say, oh, well, if we remove this obstacle, then that really might work. Or, well, this is really the goal I hear you say you want to achieve. We haven't maybe had so much success there, but what did we learn that we can then use over here to reach that goal? So it's a redirection as much as anything. What is it that students, if you could give one piece of advice to somebody who's starting next week uh, as a team member, uh, as part of an organization, what would that be? Aside from listening. Absolutely listening, but doing as much research on your own as you can about the company, the challenge. There are very few unique business challenges anymore. People are out there solving them. They are doing unique things to solve them. Go do some research. Find out what other people are doing to address those same needs because chances are pretty good that they're thinking of some things you maybe haven't thought of before. And it could be a a collaboration of what you're seeing out there that will bring you the solution you need for your unique challenge. Hmm. Now, as a team leader, um, which is something you've got great great deal of experience with, what's the what's the secret to that? I think transparency. Transparency. I like to say I'm a I'm a I do transformation management. I don't do insanity management. <laughs> In other words, we're not going to do the same thing and expect a different result. Sure. Transformational management is taking something and making it bigger, better, more effective, more efficient. Change, the word change, people physically react to. So understanding the impact language has on your team, I think, is also really critical. Hmm. Being open and listening through someone totally. Too many people are already formulating what question they're going to ask. Or how can I look smarter than that person rather than truly being in the moment and listening, absorbing, processing, and coming back with a strong response? Hmm. Yeah, a lot of times you read about people who are listening, uh, who aren't listening. They're just waiting to respond. Yes. That's a pet peeve of mine. It, it's a pet peeve. <laughs> and and again, then you're the only one you really want to have in that conversation. And I have somewhere else to be. Right. <laughs> As somebody who's led a lot of teams, tell me about your most successful team leader experience. My most successful team leader experience is the one I have right now at Ethan Walton. Really? And it is because of the diversity of my team, the diversity not only in background, but certainly in experience. So Jeff Clapper owns Ethan Walton. Um, He came out of a family of publishing, Clapper Publishing. They put all of the craft books in Walmart stores for years. So how to knit, how to crochet. That's kind of their, that was their niche. Um, Jeff's mother works for me. She's been CEO of Clapper Publishing, president. She's a published author. Um, and she works with me on my team. Wow. Um, so I have that level. And she's not old enough to be my mother, but she could <clears throat> certainly be my older sister. And then the youngest member on my team is in her in her mid twenties, and has a young child. She's just her young child's just about to turn two. Huge, vast, different experiences. Where Marie's lived all over, raised in Chicago. I've got folks that you know have experience in New York. Some that have never left Northwest Arkansas, 
And we work together so well because there's a huge level of respect. We're all moving towards the same goal. We all feel passionate about this company, 8th and Walton, what we can do in the community, the good that we're doing for other people. And I love developing people, love developing relationships, and that's what this company is doing. So whether it's our television show that we have, our own podcast, or our newsletter, or the education facilities and classes that we're teaching, all of us are moving towards that same goal and bringing different attributes to that solution. So I'm having the time of my life. How do students get involved with what you all do at CRE? What's that process? Well, and that's the beauty, again, with Jessica being our new CRE leader, because that's where her that's where her passion truly is. Partnering with Karen Boston with Career Services, we're going to be doing a lot of work with them. Leadership Walton, um, really exciting things that I know you're leading in terms of the communications track. We want to build out a commerce and a retail track that can help students as well. I think one of the most exciting things that's going to be happening this next year is around our Enactus team. So Enactus is an international organization. It's the old SIFE for those that would remember it. Um, and we've been able to recruit Ra- Rachel Sullivan from John Brown University. John Brown University in 2017 won nationals at Enactus. Well, their coach is now going to come and build our Enactus team at the Walton College. And she has hit the ground running. We're partnering with the right people. We're talking to folks that are doing innovative things, um, whether it's Macmillan Innovation Studio, whether it's the work that Carol Reeves Entrepreneurial Group is doing, certainly Leadership Walton, Walton Honors Group. So all of the students now can have a different way to plug in that makes it really easy for them. But more importantly, Ryan, it makes it easy for our businesses because they were getting frustrated. They want to do this. They enjoy doing it. We, from a college perspective, have to make it much easier for them to do, make it very simple for them to almost plug and play. Yeah. Partnering with the right people. It's huge. Um, Our students in Freshman Business Connections have been talking about building teams a lot over the past couple of weeks. We've talked about being a team member, leading a team. But what are the primary challenges to building an effective, inclusive, and diverse team? Do you have any experience with that? I do have some experience. It's actually probably what I would say would be my career highlight. Do tell. One of the opportunities I had as working with the Jones Trust, um, we received an incredible gift from the Sisters of Mercy in the former hospital in Rogers. 300,000 square feet, 13 acres, actually had to go to the Pope to get it given to us because it was property of the Catholic Church. So I have a letter signed by the Pope, which is pretty cool, donating this property to the Jones Trust for the purpose of building community. That was to be determined by us. To build it by community, I had a very small core group of people that were committed to this, and we had our own vision of what that would look like. And it became clear very quickly that by pulling in more of the diverse community, whether it be through by diversity of thought, ethnic diversity, um, diversity in skill sets and experiences, we would have a much more robust center that could serve the need of our community. Uh, It's the Center for Nonprofits. 
It's at 13th and Walnut in Rogers. There's also one at this campus in Springdale where we bring in nonprofit organizations that can serve those that are really truly need our resources the most. These are usually the folks in our community that don't have transportation. They have to rely on public transportation. They maybe don't have the skill set to even communicate fully. Um, and they truly just need help sometimes acclimating to this American way of life that we have. You talk about a diverse challenge and situation. In Rogers, I know, I don't know what it is in Fayette, but I know in Rogers there are 46 different languages spoken in that school district. 46 different languages. People don't realize how diverse the community is. And when you're dealing then with the social sectors, you have to be able to communicate and understand how to approach people in an entirely different way. So we went out and actively recruited people, as many as we could, represented from the larger communities so that they then could be part of what we were building so that their community then would feel welcome in coming. And that was really key. As we did that and we sat down, it was also important not to answer the questions for them. And what I mean by that is we could sit here and assume what they needed they could also sit there and tell us what they wanted, but oftentimes what they needed and what they wanted weren't the same. Hmm. So again, it goes back to actively listening and, le and developing those questions and having that conversation built around trust, built around a safety, a safe harbor, um, where you then truly do have that interaction where you can do what I call the Lord's agenda. I get up every morning and that's what I pray for. I pray to do God's agenda every single day and serve his people. And that's where this project, I think, really led us and it came together in ways that you wouldn't even really have thought of. So for a visual, you, you can picture a hospital, which is what this was. In the former emergency department, we have the community clinic, which is a federally qualified healthcare facility. They do some incredible work, it's on scale. But if you have certain um, diseases or if you have certain challenges, the community clinic can't serve you. You have to go to a county facility, the Benton County Health mm -hmm. Department. It used to be that Benton County Health Department was out in Centerton a long way away with no public transportation. So if you were diagnosed with something at the community clinic and they said you had to go to the health department, you one had no way to get there if you could ever find it. And consequently, most of the time, those, those uh, diseases were not being treated, which isn't good for the whole community, the health of the whole community. The health department, we were able to convince to move to the second floor of the center. So now, rather than going clear to another community, they walk around and go in the front door and go to the second floor and are immediately treated. And at that point, then, our whole community becomes much healthier. The bus stops right there. There's not a challenge to get there. It's a welcoming environment with lots of different languages. And you can hear it, you know, with just the dynamics happening in that facility. So leading a diverse team of thought, of skill sets, of ethnicity, of however you want to claim it, 
just adds to a better solution that you never would have come up with before. Yeah. You cover more, you, you, you ask better questions. You ask better questions and you're open to more solutions. Right. Interesting. The, you mentioned trust. Like, you know, a lot of times I think with these big projects, we oftentimes talk about finding the right people, the smart people. Trust is something we often don't think about getting, you know, so it's very interesting to me that you mentioned trust um, and, and also the importance of building that trust. Building that trust and building that respect. Yeah. Understanding where people are in their journey um, one of the core, there's several core values for Walmart, but one that I was actually sharing not too long ago that sometimes people misunderstood is everybody was being treated equally. Mm-hmm. Not equally, but equitably. And there's a difference in being treated equally and equitably. And I like to use, again, the visual of I'm a short woman. If I need to see over a fence, I'm going to have to stand on a box. My brother's six six. He doesn't need a box. But for both of us to stand and look over a fence and to make it an equitable situation of a scene over the fence, we need different accommodations. Right. So don't confuse equal that the fence is going to be six feet high and equally he doesn't get a box, so I shouldn't get a box. That doesn't solve your situation. Right. So thinking through how equitably you can make it and then going to where people truly are. Most people, it's just a small percentage, unfortunately, that we have to manage to, that don't do the right things or have ulterior motives. By far, most people want to do good work. They want to do the right thing. And you just have to oftentimes move the obstacles so that they can do that. Sometimes people are the obstacles that you have to either convince to self-select out of a situation or you have to help them see that to truly meet their goal, they need to go another direction. Because if you're in a situation that is difficult and people are unhappy, if you're unhappy with, with people on your team, chances are really good your team's unhappy too. Mm-hmm. And so if your goal is to have a productive team, not everybody's going to be happy all the time, but a productive team, then you have to be willing to have those hard adult conversations and help people find a path to another way to success. Sure. Which is, you know, not always pleasant, but very much yeah. necessary. But, you know, as I often have said, or was said to me years ago, if it were all sunshine and puppies, we wouldn't pay you to do it. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, being a leader and being an effective manager can be very lonely. Yeah. It can be a very lonely proposition because... There are things that are said to you in confidence that you have to hold. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you can't share why you're making decisions because you can't share all that information. And then there's just the appropriateness of the relationships. And it takes a different level of maturity. And that's the other reason why just I love my team is that it's a mature team. Mm -hmm. And we all have a different role on that team but we're all part of the team. Yeah, ultimately, I get the final vote, but it never comes to that because we talk things out and we're moving forward as a team, and we pretty much have decided this is the best solution. And by no means am I bringing forward all the best solutions. It's growing from the team. Sometimes being a good manager is getting out of your people's way. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, many of our students are, are going to be involved in digital careers, right? Digital marketing, digital retail, so on. Um, 
and we've touched on some of this already, but how does a digitally driven or digitally focused workplace workforce, how does that change or challenge, um, and it may be more challenge than change, the ways we think about building effective and inclusive teams? How do you build a team of remote people? I think it's communication still. I don't know that it necessarily changes. It just maybe changes your medium Mm -hmm. of how you're communicating. And I think that's where, you know, Jessica would speak to this much more than I would, where you're dealing with global, so you're dealing with different norms, languages, time zones. It goes back to consideration. If you're talking to somebody in China, you don't want to make it midnight all the time at their end. Sometimes (laughs) it needs to be midnight at your end. So it goes back to respect for the individual. Digital to me is the new norm. Mm -hmm. It's it's no different than going back to that first time where we scanned something. It's how we're interacting with customers, how we're interacting with each other. And while you know the the iPhone is what ten years old, smartphones only ten years old. Who knows what the next ten years are going to be? But the reality is. I remember when you had to get up and walk across the room to change the channels on the TV. My son doesn't know a world without the Internet. And so I think it's just a continual evolution that it's always been on the younger people, wherever you are in in historical perspective. It's the younger people that have continued to drive that change. And it's incumbent on those of us that were young at one point to continue to bring them along, accept that change, embrace it where we can. And it and at some point then they are the leaders and we're gonna go the like. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you take some of what she mentioned about team building, communication, and leadership and weave them not only into your coursework, but into your everyday life. Lots of great stuff in this episode and lots of great stuff coming up as well. Thanks again for listening.